The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. We've been doing something for the past few years uh, called podcasts. We are very happy to present right now our second installment of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast. We're going to go ahead and turn control of the deck over to the guys from UCAP. And, you know, most of you uh, are going voices in head and realize it must be Uncontrolled Airspace. Take it away, Jack. Thank you, David, and welcome, everyone. Uh, welcome to episode number 132 of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast. We're recording this episode uh, from a very special location. It's Sunday morning, April 26th, 2009. It's the final day of the 2009 Sun and Fun Fly-In, and uh, we are, as I mentioned, on location on the grounds of the Sun and Fun Fly-In in Lakeland, Florida. Uh, and as always, uh, we are very happy to be the guests of the Sun and Fun radio station down here. They've been taking good care of us. We've got a bunch of friends who are going to be joining us this morning for the next 90 minutes or so, but first let's just talk to the regular gang here. Jeb Burnside and Dave Higdon are sitting here with me. How you doing, boys? We're in control of the horizontal and the vertical. Good morning, sun and fun. That's right. How are we today? I'm impressed, David, that after a week of this, you can say that you're in charge of the, that we're in charge of the horizontal and the vertical. It's, it's, uh, it's an He's awesome week. He's got the horizontal but part down. The it's an awesome week, but it can, <laughs> yeah, it can be a little bit, uh, you know, take some energy. Uh, yeah, it's, if you really immerse yourself in an event like Sun and Fun, and if you're going to come to an event like Sun and Fun and not immerse yourself, why bother? So That's you right. immerse yourself in an event like this, see the old friends, make the new friends, see the things around, enjoy the weather, the camaraderie, the, the, the flying action. Uh, yeah, at the end of seven days, one's week. Yeah, you can almost have too much fun. Uh, we haven't gotten to that point yet. No, no. But um, no, we this try been a great every week. year. The weather's been phenomenal. Yesterday was just as delightful as it gets. Today probably be a little bit warmer uh, with less breeze, but that's okay. Um, and it's just been a great week. So what do you, what's been the high point of the week for you? Oh, easy. Uh, what's the that? Aeroshell. That's right. We're aeroshell, gonna talk, uh, we'll talk about uh, a little bit of that aircraft, at some point. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Jeb and I were, were lucky enough to be in the right place. This happened literally seconds after we finished recording the, la the first episode last on, on Tuesday night, is that we were contacted, uh, a listener who was here, hooked us up with the folks from the Aeroshell Aerobatics team. They said, oh, by the way, we've got two seats available. Would you like to go for a ride? And we go, uh, uh yes. How quickly can we say yes? Yeah. So Wednesday morning, we got to go out uh, at 9 o'clock in the morning, and climb. each of us climbed into the back seat of one of their T6s and, uh, and had a great ride. What was your impression? you have fun with that? Dude, I don't want to taxi that close to an airplane, yeah, I know. much less take off, do loops, do rolls, and come back, and they, they, they broke apart for the landing. But I, literally, I don't want to taxi that close. Yeah, that they was did great. I was, I was very impressed, not just with the, uh, the flight, but the professionalism and the skill. That's, that's not easy flying that they did. Yeah, likewise. And they made it look easy. Likewise, it was a blast. That was, we'll talk about that more on, yeah. maybe later today, maybe on another podcast. But uh, that was quite an experience. My first opportunity to be upside down in an airplane. And like, uh, it was... Oh, my 
It was a lot One of fun. fun. Jack Jack hasn't been normal since. Well, let me give it as yeah, normal yeah, since. Yeah. <laughs> I've been definitely wandering around on a high from that thing. D- uh, Dave, what's uh, been the high point for you this week? Oh, it, it, as it always is, year in year out, the 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 old friendships renewed and the new friendships made. Uh, it, and then beyond that, some interesting uh, some interesting new airplanes. Uh, we had our, I think it was the seventy sixth. I mean, sorry, the 97th uh, light sport aircraft to receive its ASTM approval was shown off here. That's 97th type, 97th of, type of aircraft. Uh, that's four years and two months after the initial. Uh, that was the uh, uh, the Kit Fox LSA, which was great. Uh, some great new avionics to look at here. Uh, some interesting developmental equipment that we may talk about later. We're not wholly convinced yet but it was intriguing uh, uh, a device that uh, what was it called virtual HUD where they're going to try to project go okay. down that route. Yeah, we'll come back to that later on because we could talk for a long time about this uh, but uh, it was interesting and then, you know seeing Potential. some of the, the advances in some systems L3 has got its uh, new standby uh, all electronic all-in-one attitude instrument here they call it the trilogy because it puts all your backup instruments into one, and it's all electronic, so it looks like the glass screen that you need it for if the glass screen fails. Uh, and I had a chance to fly a couple of SR-22s with a couple of different avionics packages in it. Doing those back-to-back one day after the other gave us a, a good reference and an, and an old friend of an airplane. So it's been a full week. The low point for me was the absence of a long, dear friend, Chuck's Lasargic, the longtime owner of CGS Aviation, whose Hawk debuted here with great fanfare in 82. He's been ill. We wish the best to Chuck. We understand he's recovering well. Uh, we had him in spirit and in spirits. So, uh, yeah, we've got a number of missing friends this year. Uh, it's uh, the uh, radio folks here, and I know him a little. Um, of course, the folks here at Sun and Fun Radio know uh, co-chairman Terry Fowler well, who uh, was taken ill uh, just prior to the fly-in and was unable to make it this year. And uh, everybody's thinking about him, including us, and we send our best out to him and uh, you know, send him some good thoughts, and we'll see him next year for sure. Otherwise, it's been pretty much totally Cavu weather and, and, and Cavu camaraderie. That's right. That's right. And, and turnout's been good, too. I, I, Yes, the physical numbers of attendees is down, but uh, everyone I've talked to, um, the uh, quality has just been superlative. Yeah. And we'll talk hey, some more about that. We're pleased to have uh, joining us now in the virtual hangar is a, uh, someone who's become a very, very good friend of the podcast, uh, and that is the president of the Sun and Fun Fly-In. John Burton's here with us. How are you doing this morning? Turn mic on. There I'm you doing go. great, thanks. How are you all? Very, very good. So how's the fly-in been from your perspective? I think it's been great. Uh, number one, it's been safe. Uh, that's always our first concern. Number two, uh, we named Hal Shevers as our weather chairman this year, and Hal once again has done a fabulous job. We have had great <laughs> weather all week long. Uh, I think operationally, things have been exceedingly smooth, and uh, it, it's always a great thing to see a plan come together. So we've been very blessed with uh, uh, safety, great weather, and I think a lot of folks came into the event wondering what's going to happen. You know, Sun and Fun traditionally kicks off the summer flying season, and, and there's a lot of questions with the economy the way it's been. And I think this has been an emphatic exclamation point that aviation is 
alive and, and, and doing pretty well. The, the attendance is down slightly, but in talking to exhibitors, I think they have been very enthused. So overall, I am ju- I'm just I'm juiced on it. Uh, it. It's been a great week. It has. Uh, and uh, as I say, all the vendors uh, with whom I've spoken uh, have uniformly said that this is one of the best years they've had at Sun and Fun. Uh, booths have been mobbed. Um, the quality of, of the questions, of the, uh, the immediacy of someone's buying decision, all of that kind of thing has, has been just excellent. And uh, it's been very worthwhile for all your vendors. So congratulations on that score. Thank you very much. John, you have a different perspective on the fly-in than we do. Tell us what has been the high point from, from your viewpoint. Jack, I'll tell you, it's, it's, when you asked a question earlier, I was, I was thinking, man, how do you, how do you identify one? It's, it's really been an incredible week. When you mentioned your flight with Aeroshell, I think one of the highlights for me was seeing Alan Henley come back to Sun Fun this year. Uh, he looked great. I, they that's had raised, great. I didn't uh, re- he was on the ground? Yes, sir. I uh, didn't realize uh, that. Alan that's came terrific. back, and, and there was an air show up at Cecil Field the week before uh, Sun and Fun, and it was basically a fundraiser for Alan's medical bills. They raised over $110,000 net. Uh, and presented uh, Alan with uh, that news, I think it was on, uh, it was either yesterday or Friday. All these days kind of <laughs> run together. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the other high points for me, again, looking kind of from the inside out, is, is, is seeing how the team pulls together for the, for the common cause. And, and I think with how smoothly everything has run this year, in contrast to last year when we had the severe weather and the huge challenges with all the rain we had, uh, it's just been very gratifying. And I, my, my hats off are, are to the, uh, the volunteers and the staff and the board members who really put this whole thing together. For those uh, listening who are not familiar, um, Alan Henley is uh, the, one of the members of the Aeroshell aerobatic team who, uh, what, about uh, almost a year ago now. It, it was right before Oshkosh. It was right before Oshkosh, um, was uh, struck down by a tragic um, Accident. Fluke accident. Yeah. It wasn't an aircraft. It, it wasn't had nothing an a- to do with it. Wasn't an aviation accident. It was just in, around his home, and uh, and uh, has been been coming back from that, and apparently doing a terrific job. And uh, our thoughts go out to him as well. Uh, it was nice to see a four ship aeroshell aerobatic team yeah. again. After it always looked really odd. They adapted really well to perform at Oshkosh, but it was three airplanes after 24 years of it being yeah. four airplanes. So well, that's another thing, though, Dave. The night air show this year was spectacular. I, I thought it was absolutely awesome. Yeah, uh, the fireworks were wonderful. Uh, I happened to be in attendance when I'm, I'm, look, I'm looking over at Hal Shevers. I'm sure a lot of folks are, would much rather hear Hal talk than, than me, but uh, Hal and EAA announced a, a wonderful Young Eagles initiative uh, on what's the next step. And, and Hal, again, in his generosity and in his support for aviation at, at all levels is uh, just admirable and and just absolutely yeah, we're going to drag a little of that out of him here shortly you know the tough part you 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 hit on something that occurs to me every year when when i get back home and the folks said what'd you see what'd you like and it's a little bit like at going to a great restaurant and they put this fabulous meal on the table and then they come back and ask which bite did you like best uh you know it's the the totality of the experience yeah. that you well, come David, away it's with a, it's a great example because it's it's really the people you're with it's the total experience that, that, that really makes it memorable. And I think that's what Sun and Fun is all about. I mean, you look around, you see you know, 500 commercial exhibitors, 500 educational activities, and all of those are at the heart and soul of, of what we do. But it's the people who come here and interact 
you had mentioned seeing old friends and making new friends, but it's that week-long interaction uh, between the people that really makes uh, this event or any event special. I, I agree. I think a couple of episodes uh, we were asking each other what we were most looking forward to here at Sun and Fun this week, and my response was basically just to get the vibe, to, to be with the people, and uh, as, as Dave uh, alluded to earlier, you know, uh, meet new friends, um, uh, make up with old friends, um, and uh, you know just enjoy the vibe of the week. And uh, that's that's my main thing when I come to Sun and Fun. And that's kind of my thing, my main thing when I go to Oshkosh also. Well, and it's a little bit like going into the shrink's office, and you can tell how happy or sad the patient, what what kind of day the doctors have by the mood in the waiting room. And this I don't, is I don't a little bit like aviation's Jack, waiting room. We, we can't relate with going into the shrink like you can, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you get a sense of how things are going by the, the, the look on people's faces and the step that they're carrying as they're walking from one place to another. And, you know, uh, this has had as good a vibe and as good an energy as I think you could expect. So uh, for those people, uh, many of whom are listening live on uh, Sun and Fun Radio right now, uh, although this is the last day, there's still, still things going on. Anything in particular you can call to our attention today? Am I putting you on the spot here? You have the schedule all in your head? Oh, I wish. Even if I did, I think by this point of the week, it would be pretty foggy at best. <laughs> but there's but still plenty going on there, today. There's a ton of things going on today. The electric car, which has been a, a very uh, big hit in our green space area, uh, one of the, you know... I go back to your initial question, what are some of the, the highlights? Uh, this year we celebrated Earth Day during uh, the, the week of Sun and Fun, April 22nd, the second day. We have an area dedicated to uh, eco-friendly aviation technology products, services, as well as everyday products and services. And it just is kind of a commitment that Sun and Fun is making as we move forward uh, to be more aware of uh, how we treat the air in which we fly, I guess for lack of a better description. But uh, one of the highlights of that area is an electric-powered car that has been flying every day, and today it's going to fly at 1.30 right before the air show. Excuse me, electric-powered airplane. Uh, we also have a flying car, so you know those two have yeah. been very popular. It's getting so complicated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't want to have to take a break sometime. I'm holding out for it. the roadable rubber band wind-up car uh, that, air, that flies. But I can fix you up with one of those this afternoon. <laughs> I, I think also the uh, Golden Knight Parachute team uh, is going to jump again today, and I don't know how secret this is, but the city manager of the city of Lakeland will be doing a tandem jump. I can't be secret because I heard Knights. it on the internet someplace. Is he, so, is he uh, in the middle of a re-election campaign or something? Like no, that? no, he's uh, he's appointed. So I, my I, question I, is: I Is he already up. a jumper, or is this like? No, point? this is his first jump, and I, you know, the the support that Sun and Fun has received. No pressure, because it'll only be like a hundred thousand people watching. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, no pressure there at all. But you know, it's kind of a five hundred thousand people. How many people are we watching? How many people typically are on the grounds in a day? Uh, probably fifty to sixty thousand. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And I would say on Friday and Saturday, more than oh, that. Yeah, we yeah. Had, it was, we had a huge day on, yeah. on Friday and they, they were, even they bigger were big days crowd-wise. You could tell by the difficulty level in walking from one point to another that uh, that it's gotten really close to saturated. Yeah. Um, this question, I, I always feel like this question is a little bit like going to the to the woman who's just delivered her baby as she's being wheeled out of the labor room and saying, so when are you going to have your next child? But I know that a lot of meetings happen during this week planning for next year. 
any things you're, that are on your on your on the drawing board that you can tell us about for uh, future Sun and Friends? I think the big thing that we're looking at uh, is whether or not a jet team is going to be coming back next year. Uh, we had the Thunderbirds last year; they were a huge smash. Uh, it was a real challenge operationally for us to handle that. We proved that we can do it. I think they had a great time. I think our audience loved it. But we're, we're a fly-in. We're not a, a quote-unquote air show. So we wanted to hold off a year uh, just to reinforce more than anything else to our volunteers that, no, we're still a fly-in. Uh, but we're looking at possibly the Thunderbirds coming back next year. And then two years out is the 100th anniversary of, uh, of uh, the Navy. So... Uh, we're looking at the possibility of the Blue Angels coming back in 2011. So, very exciting. Those, yeah. are, those are some of the things that we've been planning. Certainly, uh, uh, the 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 different aircraft, the different uh, exhibitors. We're we're hoping they all come back and then and that we add a couple more. That's great. Well. I guess we're going to let you go back to all of your myriad duties here, and uh, I appreciate you stopping by. Is there anything else we need to know? Is there something I didn't ask you about that you I, wanted to uh, I tell think us? One th- I, I would be remiss if I did not uh, uh, remind your listeners about the uh, Central Florida Aerospace Academy, which we have here on the Sun and Fun campus. It is a high school uh, focused on aviation curriculum. We received a $1.4 million grant from the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, uh, which we are exceedingly proud of because Florida uh, and Polk County, which is where we're located, has not always been known for those uh, high academic standards. This really underscores that that Polk County uh, is a national leader because we were competing against uh, uh, MIT, against Georgia Tech, uh, and some other uh, colleges uh, that uh, and, and here we're a high school that won the largest of the nine total awards. So we got $1.4 million. The smallest was a $300,000 uh, award, but we are really proud of that, and we're very proud of our high school here on the Sun and Fun campus. That's great. That's great. Do you, I, don't, I don't mean to put you on the spot, John. Do you happen to know offhand the dates for next year's show? Early in the month, middle of the month, later. No, it, it's. I do know, and I'm just fogging up now that you asked me. But I'll I'll stop back with those dates. Very good. Yeah, Thank I you. was gonna. I do know that the final day next year is the birthday of a great American. You guys always Jack. Yeah. That's Parson. right. That means we're going to have to get some extra Twinkies. I believe and a you end <laughs> next year. I believe you end on April 18th next year. So count backwards. I so. believe it's the 13th through the 18th. Okay, 13th through 18th. Is the Thank dumb you, that was in my head. Okay. Well, we'll be back. Uh, uh, we'll certainly be back, even if only as attendees. We hope that uh, we'll be back to, to play with the radio station some more, too. And, uh, and we hope you'll come by and join us next year as well. I'd be and, uh, honored to. I always enjoy it. And thank you guys for all the promotion that you do, not only for Sun and Fun, but for aviation. It's a great program. 132 uh, segments is really incredible. I think you're eligible now for syndication, aren't you? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I don't know if we want to go there. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> another can of worms. John, thank you very much. Thank you, thank John, you. the president it's of the Sun and Fun Fly-In, John Burton. Thank you. Thanks. Jeb and Dave, while I kind of make some changes in the seating here, why don't you talk to us a little bit about what we're seeing out here this morning? What's the scene for well, folks? The, the big thing that is, is continually coming into my vision here is this huge tooth, which is uh, across the... <laughs> across the uh, the way from us here, there's a, uh, a booth set up outdoors for the Sensodyne Dental Health Spa. Sensodyne uh, Toothpaste and Tooth Care Products um, uh, has a, a large-ish booth 
it's inflatable. It's it's got all these games for the kids, and and that's that's gonna. That's, I'm gonna wake up about three weeks from now in the middle of the night, and I'm gonna and that image is gonna be burned into my mind. Post traumatic tooth syndrome. There you go. It's not exactly the scene I was hoping you'd go for. There are airplanes here this morning. There are as airplanes, well. but this this is, yeah. Next well, time I need a segue, I'm going climbed somewhere. Out, somewhere else. Climbed out of the camp this morning with the first cup of joe in hand and looked off to the to the south. And what do we see? Some some machines from Paradise City taken to the sky. They're making. No, you're good. Keep going. Make, taken to the sky, enjoying the light winds and the cool air in the morning. Uh, it's always a lovely thing, a nice sound, and a great way to start the day. So. Yeah, that's great. Hey, we're really excited to welcome a new friend to the virtual hangar this morning, a new friend to the podcast. Sitting with us now is uh, the, fo- I, I got this from your website, I hope this is, uh, this is correct, the founder and chairman of Sporty's Pilot Shop, Hal Shevers is here. Good morning. Did I get good, that right? Good morning. That is uh, correct, and uh, well, more or less correct, because we've had a transition at Sporty's. Uh, the next generation has uh, essentially taken over the company. I'm still uh, chairman and uh, we have a president, and we have a lot of vice presidents. Hey, none of these people are related. These are all people who have been uh, working at Sporties for years and years. Uh, our new president, Michael Wolf, uh, well, he's been, actually, he's been president about two years now, but he's been with us 37 years. And uh, I think most of the other guys have been there at least 10 and some uh, 20. Uh, but anyhow, there are five or six uh, shareholders. I'm still their landlord. But uh, I've been relegated to, uh, I'm a chief of turbine operations. That means I get to fly the Citation. Oh, tough, tough deal, huh? Yeah. So, so Sporties is, as we all know, the place to go for, for all your pilot junk. And uh, um, Oh, nice way us, to put it, Jack. Yeah, I know. Pilot stuff. It's good junk, though. And uh, it's not junk in a bad sense. It's our stuff, you it's know. It's pilot stuff. Our stuff, yeah, you know. Yeah, how did that all happen? Where? How did, give us a give us the short version of the history of Sporties. Well, first of all, those are needs. <laughs> all your pilot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I stand corrected. All of your pilot needs from Sporties. But you got to remember, uh, part of what uh, general aviation all about is uh, having fun, and uh, that's where we've been. And when I left uh, a job with uh, a, a machine tool manufacturer in 1960. I had a private license, and I said, well, this is the time. And I got my commercial license, my flight instructor certificate, and, hey, this is going to be my life. And uh, I had some flight students. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, one of my instrument students had flown B-25s in World War II, had a uh, 15-year-old son, and he was taking Spanish at uh, local high school. And uh, the 15-year-old decided I should meet his Spanish teacher, and... Uh, there she is, as a matter of fact. We've been married about 44 years now. Good Funny morning, how I, uh, this became my life, and uh, I had these students, and uh, they'd tell me what they wanted to buy, and uh, it turned into a catalog. And uh, I guess we were in mail order before the term mail order had been invented. We didn't know what it was. And, of course, our first really great success in flight training was uh, the three-day ground school in 1963, which... We sold our course to uh, AOPA and uh, AOPA Air Safety Foundation in 1965, and these lasted. Uh, these three-day schools uh, lasted for 30 years, and they turned into uh, uh, what am I trying to say? DVD. Well, before DVD, obviously, mm-hmm. were tapes. When DVD came along, 
wow, now instead of taking something in broadcast quality and putting it on some junky tape, you're able to put it on an electronic DVD and everybody got to see it in first class broadcast quality. So since then, uh, it's just been better and better with our courses. And as John Burton alluded to a little bit ago, uh, yes, we did uh, come out with a program with EAA. It just evolved, and I can't take credit for it. It was the next generation of sporties that came up with all this. First of all, with the DVDs, uh, and then taking them to online. Now, online, we can test a student as they go along. When it comes to the end of the course, they can take a practice test, and then we can recommend them without any uh, flight instructor being involved. That's right. Uh, yep. Well, they should be involved. But anyhow, we recommend them to take their written examination. As a lot of our listeners know, um, I am in the early stages of working on my instrument ticket, and I've been using your online study guides to help me with the written. They're really very, very useful. I, I found them very, very powerful. Yeah, Sporties is, is so much more um, than the catalog sale, so much more than the pilot gear. Um, Hal is, is heavily involved in training and has been for years, and uh, uh, there's just so much more going on there, and, and uh, we're the industry, the community are all are both better for it, and we, we really do appreciate that, Hal. Well, thank you. Most people don't realize uh, we're the Cessna distributor for Ohio and part of West Virginia and uh, Kentucky, and uh, we also have an avionics shop. We repair aircraft. Uh, we have a fly-in community where uh, Phil Boyer just moved into as retirement oh, I didn't home know that, really. There. Okay, yeah. We run the airport for the county. We have uh, a program with the University of Cincinnati, a professional flight training program. And uh, at the end of four years, not only do you have a bachelor's of business administration, you should be a flight instructor with uh, six or 800 hours. Well, you all just announced, uh, the, you started to talk about the program with EAA that you announced here, but I don't think we heard the details. Well, I'm glad you brought me back to it because uh, here's what it is. We've had uh, a million and a half young eagles. We don't know where they are. The ones that went with the airlines, uh, the ones that are in the business, we know who they are. But they're over a million. We don't know what happened to them. So now at the end of a young eagle's ride, the pilot will give the young eagle a logbook which the pilot will sign his first entry it's a real logbook it's uh only got room for 20 flights but the beginning is uh the same as a regular logbook and the endorsements and stuff are in back it is a real fa approved logbook that's one along with that they will get a certificate where they can go online and for no charge free of charge get the sporties private ground school which leads to, as I uh, alluded to just a little bit ago, a sign-off so they can take the written. That's outstanding. That hey, really we're going to, I just want to say we're going to split the private into two halves. That's a long tunnel to get the private. So we're split it in two halves and uh, makes it, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. When they get through the first half and have taken the test, etc. then we're going to give them, unlock the second half. That's great because one of my recurring Wines, arguments, hot button issues in this community is the, uh, the the effort we need to be making to replenish the pilot supply, right. to repopulate the pilot planet, 
we've been a shrinking population for too long and it's efforts like young eagles and 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 the help from sporties and others that we need and we need more of and more effectively and uh, it sounds like a great way to not just get kids that first flight but to give them a pathway from that first flight as a young eagle into the real deal give them some direction that's lacking now and uh, congratulate you on the idea well that's exactly why the program's being called the next step we're not going to let these kids get away if they've got an interest in aviation we want them to pursue it for instance uh, i'll take my own case as a kid i was always interested in aviation always when i was four and five years old sunday afternoon drive it was always let's go to an airport and uh, we do a lot of that. Apparently, my dad had a latent interest in aviation also. And then everybody say, oh, it's too bad. As interested as you are in aviation, it's too bad. You'll never be able to fly. You've got a lazy eye. You've got 2,400 vision in your right eye. Oh, isn't that sad? Well, when I was 23 years old or 22 years old, I had a job at Sikorsky Aircraft. Found out I didn't belong in anyone's engineering department. But I did <laughs> find out there was a waiver process. And I can tell you that six months later, I was a private pilot. There you go. So anyhow, the next step part of it is mentoring by the chapters of the EAA. And this is where mom can find out, yes, he can solo a glider at 14. Yes, he can get a private license at 17. Yes, uh, there is a waiver process for his bad eye. Uh, He can solo at 16 in an airplane. You know, how many dads even know what it means to solo? So this is where the mentoring by the, uh, by the EA chapters comes into this program. It's just, I think it's, I, I, I think we're going to give young people who haven't known how to get on the road to aviation uh, a map. That's, yeah. That's great. It's a pathway to continue. Yeah. Exactly. Tell exactly. us a little bit more about uh, your early days as a pilot. Well, where, where did you learn? What did you learn in? Uh, any any ex- particular experiences you remember from back then? Well, luckily, uh, let's talk about experience. I've had a pretty uneventful flying career. And I every time somebody says, well, how was the flight? I like to say uneventful. Exactly. I mean, that's the way we want it. But I simply, uh, after this experience at Sikorsky Aircraft that summer, I came back to Purdue or... I was a student, joined the Purdue Aero Club, and six months later, I was a private pilot, and it cost me $224. There you wow. go. Including books and everything. That was a little bit more money back then, but still, very, very good. That, that's where I want to learn to fly. <laughs> right. I think everybody does. That's where I want to train, yeah. What kind of aircraft did you fly early on? I sold in a J3, and then uh, they decided uh, that I should have a faster airplane for my uh Cross country, so they moved me up to a PA-12, a uh, super cruiser, a three-seater, and you know, today as heavy as I am, it's a one-seater. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I'm going to toss a little kudo Hal's way that he's not really expecting here, but doing some research for a project recently about standby instruments. Yeah, I was going to mention aircraft. I stumbled into the story about your uh, work to get the FAA ultimately issue AC-9175 that approved a standby attitude indicator, a second attitude indicator in place of the turn gyro, as long as it had its uh, own power source or a different power source, and a skid ball. And uh, if I remember the story correctly, 
you had a hard time finding manufacturers to step up to manu- to to build these at a price point that you thought they would take off at until you found a company willing to do it if you'd pre-order and commit to a thousand units. I did the math on that. That wasn't small change. No, it was about a million and a half dollars. But it seemed to have succeeded because the instrument's doing well enough that now that you threw the thousand that Sporty sold, they're continuing to uh, manufacture and market it at not much of a difference in the original price. And uh, that had gone on so long and so below the radar. Uh, I, I just felt like that it deserves a little recognition and a little credit here. So we talked a little bit about it in the story. I wanted to talk a little bit about it here today. I wondered what got you down the road on that idea. Well, it was very simple. I knew I couldn't fly needle ball and airspeed and uh, figured if I couldn't, uh, there couldn't be many other people that could and uh, realized this was the way to go. And uh, it's, it's the way it is on all new modern aircraft and uh, on jets. Uh, starting in the 50s and 60s, they had an electric uh, standby gyro and... Uh, Anyhow, this they've is been way- around for years, but they've always been exorbitantly expensive. Well, they uh, still are. I mean, the price is about two thousand dollars. Maybe that's uh, reasonable in this day and age. Well, but- that w- that's the low one on the market. It was when it came out because the next closest one I could find was about seven thousand. I remember years ago when I was pricing these, and about the time that your project was coming to fruition. Um, there were uh, one or two in the uh, $1,500 to $2,000 range, and a wide gulf, and the next one was $25,000. Um, and and what, what Hal has done over the years here is just basically make this enhanced safety affordable for all of us. And uh, I'm a beneficiary. I have an electric uh, horizon in my airplane. So uh, um, it, it's, it's all good, and uh, I think we can probably trace this uh, directly to saving some lives. Well, it's a combination of quantity to manufacture, and I had to get people out of the uh, mindset that you had to have a standby battery with the uh, attitude indicator. I said, no, this, is, this attitude indicator is a backup for the pneumatic system failing, for the vacuum system failing. The backup for this unit failing is the pneumatic system, the vacuum system. So you have one unit on vacuum, you have one on electric, and uh, perfect backup. Yeah, you got two good attitude indicators, and I've read a, a, I read some uh, some uh, uh, consumer type reports on the instrument that you were selling, and uh, they they rated the instrument quite highly, and they're not easy to rate things quite highly. Uh, that's why, to me, the price point seemed reasonable considering the the, the competitive products out before yours, uh, and I believe it's Castleberry that's still continuing to do that, uh, that it actually resulted in an instrument that not only was uh, reasonable, but at a higher quality than would have been available at that price point before. When you think about it, the turn gyro, whatever type it is, is certainly a useful instrument when you're in the instrument conditions and you're trying to keep your standard rate turn there. But when things fall apart, it is not the most useful dial in the panel. And a second attitude indicator would be my preference almost every time. Exactly. Well, I sure, I sure feel that way. And, uh, you know, when's the last time uh, you were asked to make a standard rate turn? 
I mean, I've never been asked by a controller, make a standard. Well, I can think of a time when we did uh, non-gyro approaches. Yeah. When you used to be able to go to the air, one of these airports like Philadelphia International, I can remember doing them there. and They, they begged me to come back because their controllers need to, needed to mm -hmm. uh, do a, a PAR approach uh, every uh, 30 days or something to stay current. And uh, now if you came down to Philadelphia International and said, hey, I'd like to shoot some PAR approaches, or uh, they'd just laugh. Yeah. They, they, most of them don't have that capability. Uh, the odd Air Force Base will still accommodate that request as long as you don't land. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's pretty much the, the last time I was at, or that or a check ride, was pretty much the last time I was asked to do a standard rate turn. And, of course, inside the marker, you do half standard rate. So uh, you, you have to fi figure out what all that is. And if you don't know, you probably shouldn't be out there practicing. So a standard rate turn somewhere between, between 10 and 20 degrees. And uh, you look at that attitude, or you look at the DG and roll out on the proper heading. That's what it takes. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about, I'm, I'm always curious, you know, people in your position who have access to so much of general aviation, I'm curious, though, to hear what your personal preferences are as a pilot. You know, you mentioned being the chief turbine pilot. That's probably pretty cool. Uh, other airplanes that you've flown over the years that you uh, have fond memories of? Well, I guess my favorite airplane is still my Aztec, and uh, that's the story of uh, one of my uh, instrument students, one again, once again, back in the early 60s. Uh, he all of a sudden uh, appeared one day with an Aztec instead of a Comanche. And uh, he'd gone up to the Piper factory in 1963 and flew out one of the first uh, Model B Aztecs. And uh, he said, and I got a multi-engine rating. Well, I'll tell you, he was wild. He was crazy and wild. And uh, But we learned to fly that Aztec together. And when he uh, got along in years and lost his medical... Uh, about uh, 1970, he said, uh, well, it's yours. I said, what do you mean it's mine? He said, it's yours. He said, but you got to give me a ride whenever I want it. And, uh, so uh -huh. that Aztec I still have. It's the red and white one you've seen in a lot of pictures. And uh, we have another one painted up the same color. Right now, uh, let's see, that airplane's been to uh, South America a couple times, northern Venezuela twice and uh, in the Caribbean probably 50 times and uh, it was my favorite plane. I remember uh, wanting to land at St. Bart's one of the tougher runways in the Caribbean and uh, I was able to talk to this uh, Frenchman down in Guadeloupe and get permission to land there and uh, without a checkout or anything and my first approach it worked out just perfectly uh, we didn't even get the plane wet at the end of the runway it's That's always a, a good thing. It's always <laughs> nice, yeah. But anyhow, uh, now you got to have a checkout and everything. Uh, Caribbean's gotten tougher to fly around. Uh, back in all uh, oh, the 60s, 70s, 80s, when you just fly, you, you go down there without reservations even and just call in the Unicom and, hey, you got any room, a couple rooms for tonight? And uh, things, uh, you know, everything changes. We've got so many things that are so much better. Aviation is so much safer today than it's ever been. But the flexibility is getting tougher and tougher, just more and more government. But I still think what's done more for safety in general aviation, and I'm talking about the uh, planes we use for cross-country, is the next rad in the cockpit. It's just... Uh, Uncanny! Yeah. It's it's unbelievable. It's. Uh, I'd agree with that. I mean, you you can launch with a lot more confidence, 
and while you're en route trying to, to figure out which way to turn. Um, it, it's, it's one more tool. It's not the end-all and be-all. But it's that much, it's just an order of magnitude, more information in the cockpit that you can use to make intelligent decisions. Hundreds of miles ahead, you're right. already deviating. You've already got a plan. You don't even have to go near that red and purple stuff. Exactly right. Yeah, there was a, an episode late last year. Uh, I wrote about it in, the, in uh, Aviation Safety Magazine where I was basically sliding down the backside of a, of a front uh, stiff headwind, so I had plenty of time to uh, to consider what I was about to do, and basically kind of went past um, my uh, what would have been my normal turn point, waiting for these storms to just blow past me, and then turned downwind, picked up you know 80 knots, blew right through the line between cells, and turned and went off on my desti- to my destination, and uh, I would not have known to do that. I would not have. Uh, uh, the information uh, available to me to make that kind of a decision without the in-cockpit in and X-ray. And what amazes me is uh, the airlines in general don't have this equipment. That's right. Yeah, That's there's right. still some, I'm not sure what it is, airplane that I shared flying duties on to come down here last week from Wichita had uh, had data link weather, so we're getting the next red picture, uh, high-end uh, uh, L3 storm scope, so we got the lightning discharge and the accompanying turbulence picture and this had airborne weather radar and of the three i'm sorry but and i'm definitely not a weather radar expert but of the three tools it was the least useful for our flight and 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 our altitude but the other two uh we knew as you say i think that phenomenal strategic planning you know it's going to be bad there you might even be able to see the track in a direction that tells you that no the left turn is really not the one you want to make right now you want to make a slight right and by the time you get to where the weather is now it's gone but what really drives it i think is the huge variety and variability of the the systems on which you can receive this information that's just revolutionized it everything from little bitty portables and hand handhelds to to the great big uh, 12 inch multifunction displays and primary flight displays in the cockpit uh and guys tell me, well, I don't fly enough to justify the cost. Uh, I, I'm sorry, but that's awfully cheap insurance for making sure that you get back home to the family in one piece. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And uh, and also, uh, not only get home in one piece, but get home without the first bit of turbulence. And uh, as you know, non-flyers just, uh, boy, when there's any turbulence, they just, uh, they're gritting their teeth and they're hanging on. Hal, I know that uh, a lot of folks like yourself uh, come to uh, Sun and Fun and these kinds of events, and you're just busy with your business all week long and don't get a chance to see much. But did you get a chance to see anything here this week? What, did, what jumped out at you? Well, I did. Actually, I've been back and forth four times. It's, well, three and a half now, and the last half back to Batavia will be tonight. It's, it's that turbine pilot thing. Yeah, yeah right. We bring in, uh, we've been, uh, no, nobody can work the booth all six days unless they're a real hero. Uh, and we do have one gal, Angie Chelly, who did do it and has done it. But anyhow, we change it at the halftime and uh, works out very well. But the show, it's just, uh, it, it's phenomenal. If, if you can ever find a way, find somebody that's got a golf cart and get them just to run you around here for 15 minutes, you'll see, you'll see things you didn't even know were on these grounds. It's... Uh, this is one big carnival, 
uh, the food. Uh, uh, I'm getting away from the airplanes themselves, but the food here is great with uh, all these different vendors. You can have everything from a Polish hot dog to a funnel cake. And uh, <laughs> But to get around and see the warbirds and uh, just talk to these people, and uh, it, it's just phenomenal. The LSA... Uh, you get to see all the LSAs are up there in an area, and uh, I shouldn't, and uh, just it's it, it's phenomenal. And also uh, this year, well, I got credit for giving the good weather. I, I wish I could take credit for that. We'll but, give you credit for that, uh, absolutely. <laughs> but that's what uh, I'll tell you. The first day, let's see, Tuesday, our sales, sporty sales, were up fifty percent over last year. But wow. remember, last year was all muddy. We had a trailer stuck out in the lot, right, and right. Uh, it was a, a rough time. But I'm told that our sales for the entire week will have been twenty percent above last year. I think the economy has hit the bottom. I think it hit the bottom uh, six or eight weeks ago. Uh, Going to Germany two weeks ago to Arrow uh, in Friedrichshafen, it was an upbeat show. This is an upbeat show. I think guys uh, and gals have uh, seen the burn. They've seen how bad the economy can get. They've decided this is it, and I think that's correct. And they're seeing how they're going to live in the future. And uh, as I told somebody, I'll move to a double wide before I sell my citation. <laughs> well, we certainly hope you're right. And, uh, but there has been a great deal of optimism here. And uh, people are buying things. I, I bought a few things at your booth, uh, Hal. Thank you. Uh, but, um, and, and by the way, you had a, you had a gr- really great bunch of kids there. Um, uh, they, they were knowledgeable. They were helpful. They were courteous, professional. Um, uh, good, just a good job in picking your crew this year. Very, very good job. Thank you, Jim. Um, it, it, I've it's still a, got a Sporty's windsock on a pole over my office, and sign that the neighbor made for me. It says Higdon Field with the elevation on it. And every time the Kansas sun deteriorates that puppy past the point of recognition, we uh, get on the horn or on the internet back to Ohio, and another one comes and goes back up and. I know that two-thirds of my neighbors are worried, silly, that there's going to be a runway put in the meadow next to the house in the center of Wichita just because that windsock's up there. But it's always good because we see, it keeps us reminded, it keeps us tuned in. And I want to thank you uh, for being customers. Also, don't forget, every Saturday there's a cookout at Sporty's. Fly in uh, noon to 2, and I mean every Saturday. Rains, snow, sunshine. uh, For people who are not familiar, tell us what airport that is. It's Claremont County Airport in Batavia, Ohio. We're a suburb of Cincinnati, and uh, it's a fun place to be. Sounds like it. I'm hoping to get back to my hometown in Jeffersonville, Indiana just down the Ohio River from you all, because in one trip I want to hit your fly-in and uh, a little event at Lee Bottom down the river about 100 miles from you. Uh, two grassroots events that close together. Uh, I've never had much aviation in my hometown as I have now that I don't live there anymore. Yeah. Your wife has been sitting over here. What a good sport listening to us. Introduce us to her. Well, this is my wife, Sandy. And uh, she's a Hoosier also, and, uh, you know, you're from Jeffersonville, and uh, I thought, you know, I've lived with a Hoosier for 44 years now, and... uh, That's really easy to do. Okay, (laughs) hear that, Sandy? Come up here and say hello, and uh, maybe you want to tell about your flying experience. Oh, absolutely. 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 Here. 
Hi, Sandy. How are you? I'm fine. Thank Welcome you. to Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast. Podcast. Tell about soloing. Well, first of all, let's make sure that everyone can hear you here. Yeah, that's right. Let's change microphones. Before I uh, before I took flying lessons and soloed, I got my first ride in an airplane when I was a little girl, sometime in the 40s, in a uh, Aronka Chieftain. Uh huh. Way before airplane. Hal flew at all. I mean, he didn't. He didn't take his <laughs> first he, airplane ride until he was at Purdue. Didn't even know him, did you? I didn't know him until this kid and his dad decided we should get together in the '60s. Uh, so you flew before he did. So I flew before he did. I, obviously not as a pilot. Oh, see, and now then, we're learning how this all yeah, works. Now it's then, starting to make. And then I flew um, on an airliner also during that same period of time when I was very young. Um, short ride Indianapolis to Chicago. Um, also, I have background in aviation in that during the war, my mother was a propeller inspector for Curtis Wright. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. And how actually, cool. In 1940. Which makes me wonder sometimes how we won the war. <laughs> no, no, but Hal commented. Oh, no, okay. no, 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 wait a minute. You have commented that those, that many propellers that my mother inspected were perfect because my mother was a perfectionist. And, and, right. and you listen yeah. to the SIC, which in this case is the Chevres in command. So. That's right. <laughs> you, you, you worked that out already. <laughs> so so I, well, what happened, I, when my mother passed away, I found some things in her belongings, and her picture was in Flying Magazine in June of 1943. Really? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So then, uh, after I married Hal... We, well, and our first date also was at the Sky Galley restaurant at Lunkin Airport in Cincinnati. So, you know, uh, aviation was I really be knew how to wow them. <laughs> you and I need to talk. And despite all that, Sandy. <laughs> and I, you know, I don't know what got into me, but I did marry the guy. And uh-huh. we managed, managed, not without some difficulty at times, of course, to stay together for all these years. Congratulations. I don't, th- I don't think we've had an argument for two hours. Well, this might be an argument because I don't think we've had an argument for a day or so. Yeah, right. <laughs> so he told us about one of some of his favorite airplanes over the but years. But anyhow, then when I, I after we got married, um, back in the days when AOPA was giving their weekend ground schools and courses, they had the pinch hitter. And at the time, the pinch hitter also included flying. So we had four hours of ground school, four hours of flying. So my first experience actually flying was from the right seat in a 172 up in Minnesota. Now I can't remember. Tell me. I think it was uh, Grand Rapids. Grand Rapids, Minnesota. That's right. And I landed on a sod field over a lake. I mean, you came in over this lake. It said hill. (laughs) (laughs) But that, and of course, I was landing with an instructor from the right seat. Well, then after that, I guess a year or so later, I decided I'd take more lessons and I did solo in 1968, and I soloed several times, and I'm sorry to say I didn't get a certificate, but at least I had some knowledge because I was involved in aviation. Yeah. We know where you can get a ground school again, really inexpensive. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, all you have to do is take a Young Eagles ride, Sandy. <laughs> That's right. That's well, right. I, then later I took some more lessons, oh, maybe 15 years or so ago, um, but... At any rate, I, I, I never did solo again. 
but I, I still feel like I at least have quite a bit of airplane knowledge. I, I and would you were asking me about my favorite plane. As far as to fly, I really like the 172. Yeah. As I, I flew that, and that's the one I soloed, but I also flew Cadet, Warrior. I guess that I guess that's what I've flown. Then I kind of helped out. When we were first married, we were flying uh, Comanche, and I would sit in the right seat, and I did some of the radio stuff until I started falling asleep when we were flying, so then <laughs> I became useless. <laughs> Most of my wife's right seat time is in a Comanche. And there okay. is no greater praise, in my mind, for a pilot's skill than for the passengers to fall asleep. Hal, you were going to say something? I was going to say just a little bit in aircraft marketing. Uh, at one time, you know, women are uncomfortable. They have uh, smaller bladders than us guys. And uh, anyhow, we put a, uh, a toilet out of a Lear 23, which wasn't much of a, wasn't a real, you know, it was, it was like a, a seat with a, with a bucket under it, but it came out of the original Lear, and we put it in the back of our Aztec. <laughs> so we actually had an Aztec with a, to- an emergency with toilet. A lav. A lab, right. okay, and uh, we had a curtain that came across, and uh, so anyhow, it was there for emergency purposes, and I, I don't think it was used at all. But the fact it was there was the uh, the mental uh, feeling that in case of emergency, I do have this. Well, I'll tell you, it was about 1990. I was up at Oshkosh, and. Uh, Oh, a big windstorm, a thundershower gone through the night before, and I was trying to move up from an Aztec to a King Air. And uh, I was going to, Sandy had, was up there, and I was going to show her the King Air, and I was hoping she would let me buy one. Well, the beach guy said, oh, this thundershower went through last night. It's all muddy here. Uh, our tent's been blown down. You can't go in the King Air. Well, right across this little gravel road, was a citation sitting there in the Cessna booth. So anyhow, I said, well, let's look at the citation. And Sandy got in the citation, went to the back, sat in the lab, closed the two doors, and then they opened again. She had a big smile. I said, you like this? And uh, she said, well, yeah. And I said, well, can I buy a citation then? She said, if it has a restroom just like this. <laughs> Beach lost a sail and Cessna gained one all because of a thunderstorm. That's exactly what happened. Uh-huh. And oh, yeah. even now, we don't really use that uh, toilet. Oh, it, it gets used very seldom, but it's there. Yeah. It gets sometimes used because it's a seat also, mm-hmm. and when we're full, yeah. that seat gets used. You know, it practically never gets used, and it's amazing. I don't care if it's a Gulfstream or Citation or 172. When it pulls up for fuel, the first thing everybody does is head to the restroom. That's right. Uh huh. Yeah. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Well, That's why there have been some flights when I was afraid they weren't going to park me close enough on the ramp. To <laughs> <laughs> I'm not much of a sprinter. Folks taking the time to join us this morning. I know you're probably pretty busy here this week, and uh, it's just been a blast to meet bo- both yeah. of you. I appreciate your. Uh, joining us here in the virtual hangar. Is there anything we sh- else we need to know about sporties that we don't know that, that I forgot to ask you or didn't know to ask? Well, as you know, it's nicer to give than receive, and uh, this Young Eagles uh, Next Step program is uh, just the big thing we have right now, and of course we've got the new DVD on WAS and Autopilots, and uh, I've got a, a group of five guys. They're all pilots up in a video department, 
and they just love cranking this stuff out, and uh, it's at a pilot's quality. The uh, the uh, newest pilot uh, has just gotten his instrument rating, and the uh, oldest, most experienced pilot, who's only 27 years old, is rated in the citation and as a master flight instructor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like to beat up people like that. But <laughs> yeah. Only to be, I say, only to be 70 again. Hal, you've been a treat. Sandy, yes, absolutely. Thank you. Hal and Sandy Shevers from Sporties, thank you very much. And uh, hopefully, we can get you back into the hangar one of these days in the future. We do this every week uh, on the internet, and uh, we'd love to have you join us in the future. Tell us some more flying stories. That would be awesome. Thank thank you very much. Great. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to play a radio host no no and step in, jump in the middle of your podcast. Okay. And thank the folks from Sporties for being a Sun and Fun sponsor. Without. Your generosity, we couldn't be here. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very, very much. And as I say, it's uh, a lot nicer to give than receive. (laughs) It's great. Thank you very much. Thank Thank you. you. Okay, you boys think you can do a better job of describing what's going on here at the fly-in than you did a minute ago? I guess not. They're all busy hugging and saying saying, uh, uh, farewell to uh, Hal and Sandy, and uh, we do appreciate their stopping by. The, uh, it is a beautiful morning uh, here today at the uh, Sun and Fun Fly-In. Uh, the, the, just the tiniest little bit of clouds in the sky. There's airplanes taking off uh, on the runway out in front of us. The exhibitor, uh, active for, the, for a final day of a fly-in, this is really, really uh, looking very, very busy. Uh, there are lots of attendees here, and it's still early in the morning. The exhibitors are all still here and, uh, and talking with customers. Um, beautiful day. The breeze is blowing. The airplanes are flying. And... Uh, and I'm a little disappointed that today's the final day and we're all going home. Hey, welcome now into the virtual hangar. Another old friend of the podcast, uh, Craig Barnett, is here from uh, Scheme Designers. Hi, Craig. How are you? Hi, all. Thanks for having me again. Welcome back. Always fun to be with you. So you're also one of these people who spends the entire week in a booth and you don't know what's going on here. Did you get a chance to get out around and see anything? This was one of those shows where I never (laughs) got out of my booth to see anything. Uh uh It was absolutely amazing. Um, We were... Uh, really busy, which was very positive. Um, and we've seen a, uh, a definite change in our business over the past few months in terms of sales. So um, as per what Hal said, we're seeing uh, that, that increase coming, al- coming along as well. And this is our second month of being back to normal. Yeah. So normal? Normal, normal in mark? terms of mark? sales. That's good. That's a very good sign. Yeah. Uh, um, means, well, now, l- let me ask you, though. Um, your business, of course, is, is designing paint schemes for, uh, for aircraft owners. Um, almost by definition, there's someone out there who's refurbishing an airplane. Um, can, you, can one make the leap from uh, people are deciding to hold on to their airplanes and refurbish them um, to activity is picking up based only on your sales? You know, it's it's an interesting question. What's happened in past recessions uh, that we've experienced is the paint industry and my little niche in the paint industry are normally unaffected. Um, If anything, we see increased sales through uh, recessions as as opposed to decreased uh, because everybody's hanging on to what they've got and they figure instead of upgrading and spending another hundred to four hundred thousand dollars, I'll spend 50000 or 60000 and make my plane relatively new. So we're finding that uh, this recession was a little different. This was the first time 
we ever felt an effect. And it's also the first time that I've ever seen the top paint shops in the country looking for business. Really? I mean, there are shops where it didn't matter what was going on in the economy, they had a year backlog. Right. And those shops are suddenly calling me saying, hey, we have a slot to fill next week, you got anything. Um, so that was uh, very interesting for us because in 12 years, and this is the third downturn that we've lived through, we've never seen that before. That's good. So, uh, you know, typically I'd say yes, people will choose to start spending on their aircraft during a recession, but uh, not in this particular case. Hasn't well, been my experience. That's good that you, you see signs of improvement. That's, that's good Let's news. hope that they're sustained, but uh, we had six months of downturn like everybody else, and there's certainly a lot of my clients are still suffering through their own particular effects of the recession. But in our company, um, March was strong, and April so far has been very strong, excluding what comes from Sun and Fun. Sure, sure. I've wondered from time to time, Craig, uh, whether you get a pretty steady stream of work from OEMs that uh, tend to be prone to standard paint schemes for airplanes to come down the line. They've got a customer who wants something with their own imprint on it, and... It's not exactly necessarily second nature for the OEM to be doing that. How often they turn to you for that kind of one-off work? Uh, it depends on the OEM. If it's uh, one of the OEMs that we work with on a regular basis uh, or that we've been doing their paint schemes for, for years, then it's standard fare that if somebody will buy the plane but only if they can put their custom design on, that they will turn to us and say design the scheme because those OEMs understand what we provide to them and uh, in understanding what we provide to them they know that doesn't matter how difficult or unusual the scheme is they're going to be able to lay it out from our detailed drawings um, for other OEMs that uh, don't work with us so frequently or that we you know they may have internal design departments for example and a client turns to us and says I'm buying a new plane from this manufacturer it really depends on the production line for the manufacturer so, for example, if, if someone is buying a new Cessna and they want something custom, they will typically take it white and go to an aftermarket shop upon delivery and apply the design. Um, and that seems to uh, uh, go right up through the Mustang line. Um, we've done a, a range of custom designs on higher-end citations uh, where Cessna will paint them. And we've been to Wichita and visited with Cessna to make sure that we give them what, what they need to interfere with their production line in essence to do a custom design to make it as easy as possible. So it's really a, a mix um, of results that go on there. Um, we enjoy doing um, uh, OEM work and we, we do a fair amount of custom design in the jet field um, where a lot of manufacturers don't have standard paint schemes. And um, it will typically be a client who's worked with us on their last plane and they're upgrading to a new Gulfstream or a new Falcon or um, a new Challenger, and then they'll come back to us. So that's how we get most of that type of work, and that's, I, I enjoy doing that kind of work. Of course, you won't turn down the individual pilot getting a hold of you and saying, Craig, I got this bird. I want to make it look mine. Yeah, I'm tired of white. You know, uh, from, from our point of view, um, my uh, most fun clients, and certainly by volume, um, most of our business are individual owners. And to us, it doesn't really matter if you come into us, come in with an RV3 or you come in with a Gulfstream 5. Uh, I love to fly an 
you know, I don't fly Gulf Streams. I, I, I fly more in RV3 area. So uh, I can really relate to the individual owners who come in with their Cessna 172 or their Bonanza or whatever. Um, and we have a good time. The fun thing is with, the, with our price point being so low um, and our programs being very flexible, allowing unlimited design f- uh, as much as someone wants until they're happy, it's actually quite a fun process for the owner. And they get to explore a lot of ideas that they couldn't draw on their own. They just need to semi-speak them and we turn them into physical ideas. And often you'll have a client who's come along and has been in love with a concept in their mind for years. And when they see it executed, they can't believe they've been thinking about that for the past five years. People who don't use that, don't use us, don't have that advantage. They'll end up putting it on the plane where it'll look kind of odd for the next 10 years. Mm. So, you know, that's, that's a fun thing to do. It's fun to see people uh, work through a program and get so excited about this little aspect. How does their plane look? Because ultimately, how your plane looks is good for your own ego. And we all have egos. I don't care what oh, anyone yeah. says. Oh, yes. Uh, mine got strip search at the TSA last time I had to fly. <laughs> my ego never got over it. How, how often do you work with a, a client who is in love with an idea that you think is unattractive? and that, uh, that they, I mean, how hard do you work to talk them down? You know, I have a lot of arguments with clients at the start of a project, I have to tell a client that my personal opinion is not their personal opinion. If they wear pink socks and a blue tie and love it, I'm not going to say anything to them. So what we tend to do is give our opinion and argue our positions. But ultimately, they're paying the bill. And when they've heard us and listened to us and they have had the arguments and not been convinced, we give in. Um, so there are quite a few planes out there that we've designed that you know I certainly would never put on my plane but those owners come into our booth at Sun and Fun and Oshkosh and other shows and all hugs and kisses and they're so thrilled with what they've got yeah, yeah. and that's case- the important part you get cases where somebody comes to you and they've had a concept in mind and you, ex- you, know, you execute the design and show it to them and they shake their head and go, I don't know why I was thinking about that idea. That just doesn't a- work. Absolutely. I mean, we work very accurately and most people can't sketch their way through anything. So, you know, they kind of put their concept down on a what I call a napkin drawing and it sort of looks okay. But when it's executed on a proper, accurate drawing of the aircraft and they really see what the issues are and we talk them through it, invariably they're going to walk away from those <laughs> Strange-looking designs. Right. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, about flying here for a little bit. Uh, yeah. Well, I actually, I got something to say to interrupt you. Okay. Go <laughs> ahead. I want to tell you what one of the best things about coming to Sun and Fun and Oshkosh is. Please do. And there's two things. There's two best things. One, this is like a great big party for us pilots, and this is where we get to see old friends and renew renew friendships. I mean, just like all you three guys and. All the many friends I've developed over the years in aviation, I see air show to air show, and they're such strong friendships, and it's just such a pleasure to get together and be able to break bread or chat and spend time with your friends. That's eat the first some sushi. Thing. Eat some sushi. Yeah, sushi. <laughs> We're talking about Oshkosh. <laughs> uh, now you made me hungry. <laughs> uh, how about some Who would have thought that Oshkosh sushi? had good sushi? But uh, who would have thought? Who I tell people all over the country, you want good sushi. 
Go to Appleton, Wisconsin. Uh-huh. I know. <laughs> well, I, I ran into a real estate agent down here who uh, is ap- actually from Appleton. And we're talking. I said, yeah, you know, I get up to Oshkosh every year for the show. She said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with that. And so, yeah, she says, you know, I'm from Appleton. I said, well, I go to Appleton every year also for sushi. And she names the place. And I said, yeah, that's it. <laughs> and uh, uh, it, was, it was just odd to connect with someone on that level. All right. We're in Lakeland now, though. So. We're in Lakeland now. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, back to Lakeland. The so second, it is. It's a great opportunity. So you, you that was the first fun thing. friends. You have friends that you, you bump into here. And, Absolutely. Uh, you know, whether it's the person that you display next to every year that you become friends with and you know their kids and you know what's going on in their family. And it's like you, you've seen them yesterday when you see them after a year. Yeah. So that's one of the parts of Sun and Fun I really enjoy. The other thing that I, I really enjoy that I don't get enough of at, at the air show is talking to people who have stories. And I was just with uh, one of my oldest friends, more than an air show friend because I work with him many times, and that's uh, Dennis Walter from AirMod who does uh, aircraft interiors. Uh-huh. Probably the guru in the aviation interior business. And just before I came over here, we were having a discussion about, you know, he flew this and this happened and he learned this from it. And I was telling him some of the great stories that my father passed on to me uh, that had happened to my father. And those kind of stories are things that you really run into at air shows. Not enough. I think programs and programs are done on that and, and are always enjoyable to listen to. Because to me, the best way to learn about aviation is from your peers and from what's happened to them and remembering what's happened to them and how they dealt with it. And I love those stories. Yeah. That's one of the reasons I come to shows like this also is to, uh, to hear those stories, share a few of my own, um, hear new ones, meet new people. Uh, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, yeah absolutely. How's your airplane doing? You, uh, uh, last well, time we talked to you, well, last time we talked to you at the other air show up north, you were just excited about putting a new piece of avionics in your panel. And, uh, yes. Um, any, any new additions, or how's that going? Well, um, first of all, I've done a lot less flying in the past six months, um, partly because we've been working so hard uh, to uh, stay busy, yeah. but also because our plane has been through excessive maintenance this past six months. Really? I think we've spent about uh, twenty six dollars or $30,000 just on maintaining it, and this is a 182RG, so it's not like I'm maintaining a King Air or something. But it's almost everything that could go wrong seemed to have gone wrong all yeah, around really. one, one point. So we went through putting in a new panel and redoing a good section of the aircraft right down to an Aspen system. And then we uh, followed that with a very heavy annual engine overhaul, uh, engine cylinder replacement through an AD, and then had to replace a whole nose wheel. That's right. You um, were talking about that with us last time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting that the AMP had said to me that years ago Cessna came out with a kit for $400 to fix some deficiency in the nose gear leg uh, for my aircraft. And just about every 182RG had it done. Mine didn't. Cost me $7,800 yeah, so I far, know. just parts. <laughs> so uh-huh. that's not been good. Yeah. So is it airworthy now? Or? It's, it's airworthy now. Uh, so now I'm back to flying again. Yeah. I didn't fly it down this time um, but I will be there in Oshkosh in my plane so you Excellent. you put in this one of these Aspen uh, uh, glass panel or uh, these uh, the glass the little devices, glass yeah. panel yeah I, I and, was and uh, you, were, you were kind of very upbeat about it when we talked to you that back then are you still 
I am. Um, we did have our problems with it. We're on our third one, um, and uh, Aspen and the avionics shop did support us uh, fairly strongly, but it took a good... After we came back from Oshkosh, which was just after we uh, installed it, we started having problems and we replaced it. Uh, problems persisted and we really had a VFR machine for quite a long time because really you couldn't rely or use the Aspen. Um, and now we're on our third system, it seems to be working. From a flying point of view, it is such an easy user-friendly system. Uh, it just makes life so much easier, makes your scan so much more efficient. Uh, and all of those, like, like all the other new avionics, enhances safety in the aircraft. And to me, having the fancy GPS with the moving map, having the weather link, having the, the storm detector, or the lightning detector at least, and, um, and the Aspen system gives you such good knowledge of what's going on around you outside the plane when you're flying around in the clouds that uh, I think it was truly, it's truly a good safety enhancement. Yeah. So yeah. I'm enjoying it. Go going back to the problems you had uh, with the Aspen system, were they um, uh, just quality control related, installation related? Which, which components seemed to be ha giving the most problem? Well, for the first one, it seemed to be a software issue. Uh, we were one of the first uh, 100 or so units. Sure, sure. Um, and there seemed to be a software issue. Uh, there were also certain and I don't remember the exact points, but certain aspects that you couldn't adjust um, and that needed to be adjusted that on a mechanical instrument you could adjust sensitivity okay. or, or the way the attitude indicator sits and so on. Those were fixed with the first round of software uh, updates and we got the new unit. The second issue had something to do with the wiring and the battery. We couldn't turn the system off and then when we would turn the plane on, we couldn't turn it on. <laughs> And you'd maybe fly an hour, and then suddenly it would come alive. Um, so That's not it, it was a, uh, a very strange problem, and it actually took a long time to figure out what was going on. And it was solved in the end with replacing the unit. Okay. So it was a flaw within the, the, the build of the unit. Um, and, you know, I think any new company is going to go through that, and any Team early pains. adopter sure. is going to suffer those pains. But when I saw that system for the first time at Oshkosh a few years ago, it was one of the few avionics I've looked at taking into account the price point, and yeah. I said, I have to have right. one. Right. So I'm glad that I did it to the plane, and the panel looks really, really modern, well, even it's though it's not a Garmin 1000. It's, <laughs> it's a very popular system. My uh, avionics shop was trying to sell me one the other day, and uh, we may still get to that point, but uh, um, I'm not in a big hurry. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, especially in this, in this economy, it's hard to be spending money, but... When you look at the value proposition that exactly. Aspen brings, I think it's very strong. Yeah. yeah. So, you, uh, when you were on the podcast last time, you told us some stories about your dad and, and his, uh, his flying experiences. I think you were telling us about the, uh, I'm blanking on the, the World War II fighter that he restored. The, uh, what was it? Spitfire. Yeah, Spitfire. It Spitfire. Thank you. Spitfire. Yeah. Um, and, and over the years, uh, particularly uh, at our, uh, our sushi dinners, you've told us some other stories. Uh, anything new you could share with us here? Uh, uh, I can't remember which, sto which stories I've told you, but I do have two favorites. Okay. Give us give <laughs> If us you want to hear some stories. I, I'd like to see what happens. And remembering these aren't my stories, but they've been told to me a hundred times. So okay. I can relate them like he relates them. Please do. Um, for uh, many years, my father's favorite uh, activity was... Uh, giving people multi-engine instruction and giving them their twin rating. Uh -huh. 
and uh, you know, for his business purposes, he always owned a uh, a nice twin. Uh, he had uh, an Apache two three five, one of the last Apaches for many years, and uh, an Aztec for many years, um, or two Aztecs over the years actually. His uh, my favorite story happened in his Apache. Um, he was actually taking uh, some potential buyers for some property uh, down out of Johannesburg to go and have a look at it. And you have to first uh, look at the fact that Johannesburg's like Denver, it's at five and a half thousand feet. So uh, with a non-turbocharged Apache, you're taking off at a disadvantage already. And uh, when you're up at your basic average cruise altitude of nine to 11,000 feet, you're well above the single engine capability of the aircraft. In fact, when you're on the runway, you're above the single engine capability of the aircraft. So uh, he had uh, this uh, gentleman and his wife uh, with him and the wife was an extremely nervous flyer and he gave her a whole song and dance beforehand about how you know this is why you have two engines and it's so you know we're so safe and everything's so wonderful and he got her into the back of the plane and he got this guy into the right seat and they took off and they headed south to go and look at this property and they were flying along at cruise when all of a sudden the left engine just coughed <coughs> and that's it it was done so okay. he feathered the propeller, turned towards the nearest airport because, of course, he's descending, kept the descent to the minimum he could keep it on one engine, and held his altitude all the way towards the airport uh, to the best of, of, his, of the plane's ability. Um, when he got around the airport area, but still a ways out, the other engine said, <laughs> and that was it. A very good day. Okay, yeah, okay. so he feathered that engine and... You know, he had said to, when he lost the first engine, the woman was like next to hysterical. And he said, don't worry, you know, we got two engines. That's why we have two engines. When I start worrying, you can start worrying. <laughs> when the second engine goes, he remembers turning to her and saying, okay, now you can start worrying. <laughs> so he said, he said to the guy, he said, there's a little airport down there. We're going to, I mean, an Aztec, uh, an Apache without engines is a brick. So he said to them, we're going to try and make the airport. I have to leave the gear up to the absolute last minute. Of course, it's hydraulic and nothing works. He showed the guy how to pump the gear down. And he said, when I say pump, you better get the gear down. Otherwise, it's going to be hell to pay when we touch down. And I forget how many pumps it takes, but it's a fair amount of pumps. So he's approaching to land. And uh, he figures that uh, he can make the runway, but he's going under the high tension wires right at the end of the field and over a little fence. And he's got it made. And just as he's about to say, put the gear down, he looks over to the left and there's a big truck coming down the road. One of these huge moving vans. And he thinks to himself that how many times are you going to have a double engine failure and then make an airport and then get killed crashing into a truck as you cross <laughs> the fence. Yeah. So he just, he held his approach for a second and then he noticed the truck skidding and nearly jackknifing and coming to a stop just short of his approach path. And he figured, okay, now I'm going to make it. He yells at the guy, pump. <laughs> the guy starts pumping the gear down at a high rate of knots. There's a click as the, as the gear comes down, and bam, they touch the ground, and everything's fine. They roll off the uh, runway. And then a few minutes later, this truck drives into this little airport, and uh, it was uh, you know, your basic type person driving this truck who had no concept of planes and my father said to him you know hey why did you stop and he said how oh, you know i saw the windmills were stopped so i stopped <laughs> and he's like you saved my life he gave the guy 20 bucks and he's still to this day he's like 
why did I give him so little? You know, yeah. he just reached in his pocket and pulled out what he had. But he says, that's all his life was worth, 20 bucks. And then the big question is, what the hell happened to have a double engine failure right. on a twin? Everybody looks at me and says, fuel, huh? No, it wasn't fuel. What was the it? plane was fresh out of an annual. The carburetor wasn't bolted onto the one engine properly. And it, the screws vibrated and the carburetor fell off. In the other engine, the Aztecs got induction in the rear, so the air goes around the back of the engine. And inside the back of the engine, they'd left a rag there, mm. and the rag got sucked into the induction system. So you had two completely unrelated, said, uh, completely unrelated uh, failures. Pretty and much defines uh, a bad day that came out well. That was a bad day, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it yeah. did well. Man, what, so. what we would put an uneventful label on, but... Yes, it all turned out well and was an excellent landing in the end. You could use the airplane That's again. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, that's um, exactly right. The the other story was another teaching experience, and um, made me quite nervous about night flying. In the end, uh, he was giving someone a uh, night checkout, and they were flying around, and the um, the engine quit. It was a Cherokee. So you know, being the big macho instructor, he says, "I got it." He says, "We go for the darkest spot." Uh, it just so happened they had no lights on this plane. And he said, anyway, it would be better to just keep the lights off. <laughs> we don't really want to know what we're going to hit. So he said that they descended into a black hole, touched down, and stopped. Everything was quiet. They got out of the plane. There wasn't any apparent damage to the plane. They had no clue where they were, and they couldn't see a damn thing. And they looked off in the distance and they saw some lights going along. So they knew, okay, there's a road over there. So they stumbled and walked through this field and got to the road and got a ride back to the airport. And the next day, they came looking for the plane. And they had landed in a forest. And they had missed trees by inches on either side of the wingtips. And they had stopped at the base of an oak tree. I mean, the spinner was right there at the oak tree. They had no way of even maneuvering the plane out of the forest. They had to disassemble the entire plane and truck it out of there. And my father has more luck than anybody else I was going to say, I want some of that luck. Where can I buy some? I mean, it's unbelievable what he's gone through. We call him Indiana Jones <laughs> because, uh, you know, the only, exactly. The only, thank God a plane's never broken up around him. But everything that can go wrong with a plane that you can survive has gone wrong with him. Amazing. And, you know, you listen to those stories and you relate them to people and there's lots of things to learn from the endless stories he has. So those are my two favorite stories, which you guys have probably heard. Uh, it's great I, stuff. I don't, I don't remember hearing either one of those, but uh, well, maybe, maybe the sushi was involved. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, it was what goes with the sushi, but uh, this is an AM radio station. So. There's nothing harmful about Nothing harmful about sushi. It's the accompaniments exactly. that do you right. damage. Uh -huh. right. Exactly. Exactly. So we're starting to reach the end of our allotted time here. Uh, as I mentioned, this is the final day of uh, Sun and Fun 2009. Uh, we're going to stick around for at least a few more hours today. What's uh, what's on the agenda for today? Craig, you've got to go back to work, I would imagine, right? I'm going back to work. So if I can go, thanks very much for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. Stick nice around. You don't have to leave you. unless you need to leave, but uh, stick around for uh, a few actually minutes. Actually, I do and, need uh, to leave. So. You do? Okay. All right. <laughs> I do have to go back to work. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming by. Craig Barnett, thank you very much. Of Scheme thanks, Designers. And, uh, anyone listening on the uh, AM radio station, uh, you're Welcome to stop by. What what exhibit hangar are you in? A exhibit hangar A. You should stop by, and if nothing else, just uh, admire some of the beautiful uh, paint designs that they have created for all sorts of airplanes. So, 
Jeb and Dave, what's, uh, what's on the agenda for this afternoon? Well, I think cleanup. Uh, a couple of errands I need to run uh, at, you know, last-minute kind of things. Uh, um, but um, one of the things I've not had a chance to do this year, um, and, and part of that is I bailed out in the middle of the week and went back to uh, Sarasota Slacker. to actually work in the office uh, for a few days. But uh, one of the things I've really not had a chance to do is spend some time out in the uh, vintage uh, airplane parking area, which is something I always like to do, just kind of get up close and personal. He likes There's to get into his own age groups. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll remember that next time. You're looking for a ride. Um, but, um, it's you know, pickings are kind of slim out there being the last day of the show. There's still, of, we drove by there this morning. Out. There's still some nice airplanes out There's there. There's some nice airplanes. Uh, you want to, I, I get a kick out of looking at the workmanship and, and just thinking of, you know, that the dedication that uh, the owners and pilots have put into uh, this restoration or, or uh, that home built or, or something like that. That's that's one of the ways I get my kicks at air shows. So that's what yeah. I want to try to do this afternoon. I have a couple things still on my list. Um, I haven't had a chance yet to see. There's apparently a Kit Fox LSA. That's right, correct. Right, right. Is it, have you looked at it yet? Oh, yeah. I looked at it the other day. Uh, it follows in the long tradition of Kit foxes from type one on. Tail dragger or nose wheel? Your choice. Okay. Your choice. Uh, it's the latest incarnation. It incorporates all the advances that they've made over the years. It was lightened up some to improve the useful load. Uh, well, that's good. I'm going to go take a look at that, and uh, and then I'm just going to wander a little bit and kind of use the force and uh, and see what's going on here. Soak up as much of the vibe as I can to take home with me. I also, soak up some of the warm rays here. Although it's pretty nice back up in New England, it's not quite this nice. So uh, I'm going to enjoy the uh, the Florida weather just a little bit longer. David, what are you looking forward to finishing up this afternoon? Uh, got a couple of stops yet to make uh, some folks to talk to, but mostly going to get around and uh, you know go through that bittersweet sort of melancholy experience of saying uh so long good to see you see you next trip have a safe trip back uh got a couple of errands to run uh need to pick up some souvenirs for some folks back home uh and then probably settle in and find a good spot to watch the uh the final day air show uh, because you know let's face it if you're the kind of junkie that we tend to be here and see here you never get tired of watching the air show. Yeah, so many people to thank uh, for uh, this wonderful week we've had here, uh, and uh, a couple of really great episodes of the podcast. Um, first, of course, Dave Schalbetter and all of the gang here at uh, Sun and Fun Radio are, Thanks, as always, and we've gotten used to it now. But uh, it is true that you are wonderful hosts, David. We appreciate it uh, beyond description, and uh, thank you for having us yet again. And uh, hopefully, we added a little bit to the thing. You you've added greatly to our show, to, to the event that we put on. Um, thanks to you, Jack, for doing all the preliminaries to set up the podcast folks, Jason Miller, Steve Tupper, Will Hawkins, David Allen, um, and yourselves for coming out and doing this. And especially thank you for putting together the first ever gathering of aviation podcasters. The Gap. 
the gap. Gap one. Gap one, filling the gap between the day air show and the night show on Friday. Um, thank you so much. Make sure you uh, get your volunteer air card. Gap. Air gap. Bonnie's air gap. the air gap. Yeah. Make sure you get your volunteer card filled out so you can get your second volunteer patch. No, uh, you got. it's a tradition. you got to get a patch for every year. I, I will. It's a great honor. I will That's absolutely right. do that. Yes. Last year and, uh, at this time, I presented Jack with his first ever volunteer patch, so I want to make sure you keep getting yours. Thank we, you. had to, we had to stop him for a second. He thought he was supposed to wear it over one eye. <laughs> I want to throw something in. Go ahead. Um, an offer you made to me the other day. I've just gotten approval to go ahead and do it. I hate it when this happens. Well, I love uh, the approval uh, part. Uh, I hate it when offers I make come there back. There will at be me. blood. Yeah. Go ahead. What? I've been really wanting to get Sun and Fun Radio out on the net uh, on on the World Wide Web. I just spoke with John when he got off the deck from you, and we have received John's approval to go ahead and post Sun and Fun Radio live recordings on the internet. So hopefully when that happens, we don't, have a, we don't have a launch date yet, but when that happens, people will be able to follow a link through and get download Sun and Fun Radio hours like podcasts. That's awesome, and that I cool. really, really would love to help out with that. There's so much great stuff that you guys have, uh, have uh, discovered and, and, and showed to us over the week here. The interviews that just go on here nonstop throughout the day, and uh, to have all that stuff packaged up now so that we can uh, listen to it throughout the uh, rest of the year is, is awesome. And, and it uh, will also be a test bed for audio streaming, Sun and Fun Radio. That's great. That's and also great. Twitter, yep. SNF Radio. SNF Radio on Twitter. On Twitter. You can Keep follow. Again, I'm asking anybody that happens to hear this to please sign up and watch. Even if after the fly-in ends, we may not be doing a lot. But please sign up and watch because it helps me say to the, the powers that be that this is what we're getting. This is something new, unannounced. I mean, obviously announced That's now. Great. Well, we're glad to do anything we can to help. Thank because, you, guys. Uh, it's a great, great thing you're doing here. We want to thank uh, John Burton from Sun and Fun Flying for stopping by and talking with us. Uh, I want to thank uh, Hal and Sandy Shevers for stopping by and, uh, uh, and, and ta- talking with us not, about, but not only about their business, about their flying experiences, which is just fascinating stuff. And, of course, Craig Barnett, uh, uh, an, an old, old friend of the podcast, uh, for coming by and telling us his dad stories. Uh, we've been listening to those dad stories for some time now, and they're, they're, it's just a, a wealth of, of cool flying experience there. And, uh, you know, that was terrific. And we appreciate that. We can't neglect... We've been approached, hailed, hollered at, handshaken uh, by numbers of uncontrolled airspace listeners beyond what we can remember. Uh, It's been gratifying every time. We want to thank the ones that showed up in person for the podcast, the ones that uh, uh, stopped us somewhere on the show grounds and thanked us for doing it. no, folks, it's the other way around. Thanks for listening yeah. to us. No, Absolutely. It, 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 uh, echo that and, and add a couple of names. Uh, Jack and I especially want to thank Tony. You know who you are uh, for helping us get the Aeroshell ride. Uh-huh. Dude, that's, that was above and beyond the call, and, and just thank you very much. Um, and, uh, again, just echoing Dave, um, all the listeners who come up and say, I, I'm, a, I'm a longtime listener or I just started or, or whatever – it's, it's always just very humbling, um, and it's very appreciated. And uh, as long as we keep getting uh, feedback like that, we'll keep doing it. That's right. That's right. You can learn a lot more about uh, the Sun and Fun Fly-In, both this year and future years, at their website, which is sun-n-fun.org. And uh, I want to thank uh, Jeb Burnside for being here. Jeb uh, from Aviation Safety Magazine. Where can people find you on the Internet these days? AviationSafetyMagazine.com. We're going to try to get my personal website up and running We're tonight. We're going to do that tonight, absolutely. Uh, and then uh, 
of course, I pop up on AvWeb every now and then. That's right. And Dave Higdon, a photographer, an aviation journalist, uh, a lot of other things, wandering around here. He's the star of the show, man. You want you got to follow David around uh, uh, Sun and Fun and these kinds of shows, and and you're going to like just meet all kinds of fascinating people. So, uh, David, where can people find you on the internet? DaveHigdon.biz, UncontrolledAirspace.com, AvBuyer.com, AEA.net, or Turn Over a Rock. I'm Jack Hodgson. <laughs> And uh, I'm a pilot and an aviation journalist and a new media producer. Uh, learn more, a little bit more about me at uh, jackhodgson.com. As always, thanks to our, our gang of people who help us out with the podcast, uh, to uh, Jeff Ward for doing our show notes. Thanks to uh, Mike Morgan and uh, Roy Searle for the disclaimers. Uh, and uh, don't forget to come by and visit us on the website at uncontrolledairspace.com. And David. So- soccer jock loved the shirt, dude. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. David, what were you going to tell us? If you want to live longer, go fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. So long. All right. That's enough talking. Let's go flying. TTFN. TTFN.